Hello, this is Jim Wallace, and you're listening to a special edition of The Soul of the Nation at a time of pandemic where we must appeal to our deepest faith, moral resources, and see spiritual health care as necessary to the public health. This is a podcast always about how faith should shape our politics and not the other way around. Today, I am speaking with health professionals on the front lines of the coronavirus pandemic. Mel Herbert is an award-winning professor, a physician, and an editor. He currently serves as the attending physician and professor of emergency medicine at the UCLA School of Medicine and CEO of Fullyboo Incorporated. Thank you for joining us, Mel. Thanks, Jim. It's uh, great to talk to you, unfortunately, under these circumstances. Not so great, but... Um, yeah. Well, let's start with that. Mel, how is your spirit right now? Let's start with that. Well, I think uh, like everybody, um, I'm a little anxious, and I think that's okay to be a little anxious about the what's going on. I'm mostly anxious for the elderly population. This is quite a serious disease the older you get. Unfortunately, people in your age group, Jim. Um, so I'm, I'm really concerned that we really follow these public health pronouncements about trying to flatten the curve. Um, because if we do that, um, then we free up the medical resources over time so we can really look after these patients when they become sick. And frankly, a lot of people are going to get very sick. Now, you, um, you have a global perspective. People can tell by listening. You're an Australian, you're living now in, in the U.S., but you relate all the time to uh, ER physicians and medical personnel all over the world. So give us your best sense of a global perspective on what's happening right now and where you think the resources should be focused. Well, this is a pandemic by definition, um, it is all over the world. A pandemic is defined as something that is either all through a country or all through the world um, caused by an agent that can kill you. So we are in a pandemic. You know, we know it started in China and it is pretty much in every country of the world. I think it's been officially reported in about 150 countries. So there's some good news and some bad news. So the good news we're hearing from China, if we can believe it, and we understand that sometimes uh, the government's all governments want to downplay this, but it appears that in China that their social isolation, they're locking things down, and they haven't had any new cases in Wuhan. So the good news about that is that if we do the right thing, we can, uh, we can uh, flatten this curve as well. We're obviously concerned about what's happening in Italy, and we're about two weeks behind Italy. In Italy, they've had ex an explosion of cases, and that has meant that you know about 5% of people get really sick with this disorder, and it's really overwhelming the hospitals there. I've been speaking to colleagues in Italy, and it's really quite bad there right now. It seems the same is happening in France and uh, Spain. We are seeing it now in New York, about a, you know, a week behind Italy is New York in terms of uh, the number of cases. And I'm speaking to colleagues every day. We did a live uh, a presentation yesterday, and they're just starting to see this very up uh, with steep uh, number of cases that are coming in there. Um, they're having to put breathing in tubes into a, a lot of people. And even last uh, night, one of my colleagues had to intubate, had to put a breathing tube in to four different patients. One of them was just 19 years old. So um, right now, New York 
is probably the epicenter, but it will spread throughout the United States. And what you're seeing is this appropriate uh, push to um, get people to stay home to reduce the amount of uh, infection. And, and again, the concept here is probably half the country is going to end up getting this uh, virus. For the vast majority of people, it doesn't. It, it's not too bad, but for the elderly patients, it is. But if we can slow the spread down, slow, slow the speed of the spread down, then we won't overwhelm uh, the hospital system. And that's what all of this social isolation is about. It's just about slowing this thing down. Instead of it occurring over a few weeks, which is what the virus wants to do, it wants to, it's pretty infectious. So it wants to infect lots of people really fast. But if we all go to our corners, we all stay home as much as possible, then we can take that uh, infection rate and spread it over many months so that we don't overwhelm the healthcare system. So Mel, I was talking to a medical professional just this morning and I was stunned when she said that many healthcare workers she's talking to really are on the front lines of this. And she said, people that she knows are making out their wills. They're, they're writing up what they want, how they want their kids to be taken care of. I was stunned by that, very sobered by that realization of what it means for people to be on the front lines of caring for all of us. Yeah, the docs and the nurses, they're concerned. I don't think they're hysterical, um, but they understand that um, there is a small percent of uh, people that do die from this um, coronavirus. Now, the medical profession, depending which specialty you look at, um, the nurses tend to be a little younger than the docs, and so they're a little more protected. We also know that women are more protected than men, and uh, nurses in this country are still predominantly uh, women, although there's obviously a lot of male nurses. I've got friends um, that are quite, you know, they're over 65, they're even into their 70s, and they want to go back to work. So yes, although people are, are legitimately afraid and the healthcare community is part of that, they're holding their ground, they're going to work. And I've seen some incredible acts of uh, kindness and graciousness of the younger docs saying, you know what, um, I'm in my 30s. And uh, you, my friend, my older doc friend, you're in your 60s or 70s. Why don't you stay home? Or why don't you go and look after the patients that we're not worried about having this uh, virus? And I'll do extra shifts. And it's been really heartening for me to see the medical community pulling together, despite the fact that they're anxious, despite the fact that many of them are going to get sick, and despite the fact that some of them are going to get very sick, they're really pulling together. And you're seeing these uh, wonderful acts of kindness and bravery on the part of the younger generation of docs saying, this is our time. Uh, we got this. Are you all guys? Thanks. Maybe stay home or do some screening remotely, but let us look after the sick patients. It's been wonderful to see. That's a great story. You know, I happen to know uh, a little bit about your family and your daily routine. Your house is often full of refugee families and people who have needs of various kinds. And so we have this whole, this whole uh, challenge of practicing social distancing, physical distancing, but not allowing that to create social isolation, human isolation, spiritual isolation. And so how we're trying to deal with that as faith leaders, as a medical practitioner, but one who's house is always full of people who need presence and help. How do, how do we figure this out? 
I think it's a really important point. You know, we our house generally has between 20, 10 and 30 people in it, depending on the time of the year with uh, uh, people from all over the world. But we have certainly closed that down. It's, it is important right now to for everybody to go to their corners as much as possible. It's really important to do that social distancing, but it doesn't mean that you have to be cut off. So what I'm suggesting to people is that you can still gather together and you can do it even in person, but just make sure that there's significant distance between you and tend to do it outside. Uh, we know that you, during the pandemic of um, uh, 1918, that even uh, patients that were housed outside compared to patients that were housed inside did better. So probably this virus gets killed by ultraviolet light, uh, certainly by heat and certainly by time. And so if you are going to gather, if you really feel the need to gather with people, make it as few of people as possible and do it outside, uh, maybe around the pool or um, in a park. But, you know, we, don't, we see these people that are, are gathering together, but very closely in the parks and on the beaches. We don't want that. But I think you can still go and uh, visit Grandpa. And go for a, a little walk uh, around the lake. But, you know, keep your distance about six or eight feet. And you can do that outside. So you don't need to completely uh, distance yourself from people. You can also use, you know, modern technology. You can get on the phone and you can FaceTime with grandma and grandpa. And you can uh, do a Zoom meeting where you get all of the family together and do dinner together, even though you're all in separate um, houses. So we're suggesting that you do all of that. We're also in the medical community. We're... We do a lot of uh, live events now where we stream them from our studio, where it's just me in the studio and a, a couple of experts all at home. But then there's the chatting that goes on. We're streaming via YouTube. And we had last night 20,000 clinicians from across the world um, listening to the presentation and chatting with each other and giving each other encouragement. And again, really helpful stuff. So you don't need to completely cut yourself off. You can use some technologies and you can use some techniques of social distancing without completely cutting yourself off. It's really important. You know, a lot of people are anxious and one of the best tools to reduce your anxiety is to talk about it with friends and colleagues. So do that. Do that. You know, we did that just this morning. We, we uh, two days ago, we invited faith leaders, uh, people who lead denominations and faith-based organizations to be on a conference call just today at noon. And within two days time, a hundred leaders were on this call and just seeing their faces and their smiles and their hearing their prayers and seeing their waving, we're waving to each other and then having a conversation. It, it was strange because I, I felt closer together than, than I did before the call with all these faith leaders, even though we're all mostly in our homes and places uh, where we're alone, but it was a tremendous sense of coming together and the information, the chatting, the questions. Okay, let's look to this. How do we take faith virtual, even take faith viral in a time of a, a pandemic, a virus pandemic? So how do we use that technology? And you say, let's just call people, call our friends and family and get on the phone. So we feel somehow less alone while we're physically uh, separating. How do, we, how do we build community without proximity, physical proximity? How do we get closer, even though we're necessarily separating physically to, to, to literally save lives here? Mel, you've heard me say uh, that I believe hope is believing in spite of the evidence and then watching the evidence change. So can you share some stories of hope? that you've witnessed or heard 
in regards to this pandemic that are already perhaps giving you some hope that we're going to get through this and even maybe be stronger and better afterwards? Well, I'll, I'll give you a few different ones. I'll first um, do one from the medical point of view. From a medical point of view, we will get through this. This is a terrible virus, um, but it's not as bad as it could be. And so eventually many, many people are going to get this and they will get antibodies to this and then they won't have to worry about it anymore. And so that's the good news. We've been built um, to deal with viruses, to develop immunity. And the vast majority of people who get this are going to get better and they're not going to get it again. Now, unfortunately, this is the prelude to probably more of these coming. And so the good news here is that this is not as bad as it could be. It could be much worse than this. Although this virus is quite infectious, it's nowhere near like measles or smallpox. And so this gives us an opportunity to refocus about you know, the healthcare system, what really matters. And so I'm hoping that this will sort of reboot that discussion about the utility of a really robust healthcare system, a healthcare system that looks after everybody. You know, it kind of drives me crazy, frankly. I keep hearing that America, we have the best healthcare system in the world, and that is just simply not true. It is not even close to true. If you're very rich, if you have great insurance, you get spectacular healthcare. But what about the impoverished? Uh, what about the great number of people who are underinsured? And this is sort of exposing that. We need to give health care to everybody as a right. And particularly when there are things like pandemics, everybody should be treated equally. And we should be certainly prepared for that. So I'm hoping that one of the really good things that comes out of this is another discussion about the idea that healthcare isn't just for those who have money, but healthcare is a human right. And that healthcare, good healthcare, should be given to everybody. And on top of that, we should be preparing beforehand for pandemics like this. We know that these are going to happen again. We knew before this occurred that it was likely to happen within the next few years. These happen relatively frequently. Um, this one is bad, but it's not as bad as it could be. So I'm excited about the fact that now people are talking about this as, you know, healthcare matters. And having a nationalized healthcare system, I think is a really important thing. Everybody should get great healthcare. And I'm hearing doctors talking about it now, hearing nurses talking about it now, and I'm hearing on the news politicians that would never have even considered that. They're basically going to grant uh, all of this healthcare to people during this pandemic for free. That's where it should be all the time. And I think we're going to be able to have that conversation much more openly from now on. So the pandemic is actually revealing the inequities in the healthcare system, showing them, uh, making them, making, showing how vulnerable so many people are. So that perhaps could open the door to moving forward uh, to make healthcare universal in this country in ways that would have been, there would have been obstacles. There are so many obstacles to that, yet this pandemic could open the door to make more and more people aware of what the pandemic is revealing about how we need to change. Yeah, I think, you know, if you think about when Obamacare first was discussed and in that legislation, they suggested a public option, an option where you could buy government health care. And it was, you know, slammed shut very quickly by the healthcare industry because they knew they have so much overhead that a healthcare system run by a government system, not for profit, would cost so much less than they could offer their healthcare for. So it just disappeared. But now when you hear the politicians discussing healthcare, now that's just sort of considered 
of course we need to have a public option. So this pandemic has really, I think, accelerated that. There is the understanding now that um, we have a broken system here in the United States. We do not have the best healthcare system in the world, but we could have a great healthcare system if we think about giving it to everybody, every single person, because no matter how rich you are, no matter where you live, you can't run away from a pandemic. And so that's why everybody has to get treated in a very similar fashion, to have very similar healthcare. And so I see real hope in that, that we can turn this terrible thing into potentially a very good thing going forward. So Mel, part of your work, your vocation as a medical professional is to reach out to people all over the world. You talk to clinicians all over the world just yesterday, just this morning. So how that can help us, uh, the rest of us, as we try and reach out, see our kids all now uh, home, trying to learn online, trying to go virtual with their educations. Uh, so you're in this position of a medical professional who whose work now is to reaching out online to people all over the world. How can that work help us to go deeper and broader in how we relate to each other all over the world, not just during this, but after? You know, we are living in an extraordinary time of connectivity. And unfortunately, that's both good and bad. So we see through places like Twitter and stuff, the, we can see the worst of humanity, but we can also see the best of humanity. So I think there's enormous opportunities, unlike there's ever been before in human history, for us to continue to be able to interact and yet not be in exactly the same place. If you can imagine in 1918 with the, the pandemic then, that people were sent to their houses and told to socially isolate, and they were isolated. I mean, you couldn't pick up the phone and call somebody or it was much more difficult than it is today. So if you want to know how to stay connected without being in the same room, ask your kids because it's the kids that know better than anybody. You know, they spend so much time chatting with each other and talking to each other and sharing pictures with each other on Instagram and on Twitter and uh, gaming together so that they're both playing video games or there's bunches of them playing video games together. They're actually the experts at this. So if you're a teacher or a pastor and you're trying to work out, well, how am I going to reach my congregation? How am I going to reach my students? Ask your students. They know how to do this. So many of them are really computer geeks. They know the technologies. They know how uh, this works because they do it all the time. Um, what's really interesting is that uh, my son is coming back from college this morning and, and uh, he was saying, you know, it really hasn't affected how much he's chatting with his friends because um, he chats with his friends constantly online using these uh, technologies all the time. And I think it's us old people that are used to, you know, picking up the telephone or uh, actually physically going to somebody's uh, place to go talk to them that are having a little bit harder time with this. But there's all of these technologies that you can do group conferencing and you can do that for churches and you can do that for families and uh, you can send out pictures and you can use things like um, we do, which is live streaming. If you've got a church and go find a 16 year old and say, help me set up a live stream to YouTube so that I can put on church and I'll give my sermon and we can chat with uh, the participants there and feel like we're still a community. There's all these technologies and it's the kids, Jim, it's the kids that know how to do it. You know, I saw this wonderful story just uh, yesterday, how this handful of kids in New York City, where is, as you say, is the epicenter now, saw this problem of elderly people uh, needing food and not being able to go out or not being able to get around. So they figured out just these kids without uh, the mayor or the governor asking them to, 
on their phones a way to find these people, find out what they needed, put a volunteer in charge of going and buying it and delivering it outside their front door. Uh, they put the bag outside the front door, then stand back 15 feet and the door opens and this elderly person says, oh, I'm, I'm so grateful. And she wants to hug them, but of course, nobody's going to hug. And so these kids have figured out somehow in New York on their phones, just as you're now saying, how to reach elderly people who need food delivered and they can figure it out, go get the food and deliver to this person exactly what they need. It was an amazing story. Yeah, that is, I saw that story. It's really uh, pretty wonderful. And and we've also been using you know technologies in the hospitals and out of the hospitals for uh, contacting patients. And I'm working with a group right now about uh, the same thing. Uh, we really want people to stay home um, if they're not too sick, but you're not so sure. You're a layperson, like how sick is sick? And we can also use these technologies, and they are being used right now, where you can call into your physician and you can uh, get an interview and the physician can see you through your camera and can say, no, look, you look okay today. Let's check in again tomorrow and see how you're doing. And so we're doing this in nursing homes and we're doing this um, telemedicine uh, to people's homes. We're also doing it actually in the emergency departments, some of the emergency departments that are very busy. Uh, we're keeping the patient sort of behind a glassed area and uh, we're speaking to them through um, iPads pads and, and phones and sort of screening them that way and saying, look, you look pretty good. Um, you probably have this virus, but I think you're okay to go, go home and um, sending them home that way. So again, all of these technologies are to our advantage right now. Unlike ever before, we can talk to each other and keep each other's spirits up, but we can also talk to each other and get real medical information from our own clinicians. And kids, you know, doing these things for, for the elderly is just another way of using technology to bring us together. What's really hopeful to me is that whenever there's a crisis like this, there are some people that, you know, go one way. They sort of freak out and, and eh, not very helpful. But most people I find are at their best during these times. When I walk down the street right now, sure, we're social distancing and we're sort of moving away from each other. But everybody I see in the streets now has a smile and they're looking at each other and they're asking how each other's doing. It's been really uplifting. So, Mel, I love the telemedicine. That's great. On the call today with all these faith leaders, we were actually talking about telefaith. How do we make faith uh, virtual and viral in this time? So as a medical professional who has been doing uh, telemedicine now for some time, you're really on the front lines of figuring out how to use this technology for medicine. I love the idea of, you know, talking to your patient with a phone and taking a look at him or her without their they're taking a metro to drive to the health or drive there to the clinic. So, so what advice, what, what counsel, what, as a medical professional who is learning telemedicine, what do you want to say to faith leaders about how telefaith, if you will, to use the language, can help telemedicine right now? How can they help? Well, you know, make sure that you're getting out good information to your people right now. Um, I think it's really important that you are speaking to them, that you are doing the things we're talking about here, that you're, um, you're still running church so that people feel like that's still going, that it hasn't gone away, that you're broadcasting to your parishioners and that you do sort of tele faith directly. Uh, you know that uh, one of the people in your congregation is elderly and is at home, um, call them. A video conference with them if you can. Um, speak to them one-on-one -on -one as much as possible. 
and and make sure that they're getting the right information. There's an extraordinary amount of poor information out there. And unfortunately, some of the poor information is coming from the highest levels of government. So be very careful about where you get your information. And uh, frankly, there's a lot of politicians that have just outrageously silly things to say. And so really make sure that people understand that they need to be looking at the CDC guidance, they need to be looking at WHO guidance, but be very careful about watching um, the president, frankly, who has given an extraordinary amount of misinformation uh, over the last few weeks. It's getting a little bit better now because he's having more and more of the experts speak. But please listen to what the medical experts are saying, not the politicians. If your community can do that, and just really focus your people on making sure they're getting the best information from the uh, health professionals, that's the best thing you can do to save a life right now. You know, I, I was hearing medical professionals this morning talk about the choice between facts and fear. We're worried about the fear taking over, and so facts. Facts can prevent the fear. Then on the faith table call, I heard people from the faith side say, well, really, it's about hope versus fear. And really, it's not just facts, it's the truth. How do we tell the truth? How do we state this almost theologically? Facts, yes, but Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, or make you free, or make you healthier. So going from facts to truth, and making statements about truth, and knowing that hope, finally, is what takes away fear, or the scriptures say, perfect love casts out fear, or Timothy says, don't live in the spirit of fear. And so I, I love this idea of taking uh, telemedicine, as you're helping to pioneer that, and others with, with telefaith, so that we're helping each other in all this process. We're coming together, and you're getting from us, from the face side, what you need in the medical community. Yeah, Jim, it's, um, it, this is an extraordinary time, and we're all coming together. And that's, it's been wonderful. Um, we have uh, pastors that are looking after patients that we've sent home that we know are pretty sick and they're calling them and making sure that they're okay and attending to their spirit. And we're all working together. We always do in the hospitals, you know, the pastors and the docs and the nurses, we've always worked very carefully together and it hasn't stopped and it's only accelerated. And it's also been wonderful to see uh, the pastors looking after the docs and nurses, knowing that they're anxious as well, and just sort of coming by and, and saying hi and praying with people and, and looking after their spirit. So uh, my profession thanks your profession for all that you're doing. It's wonderful to hear. You know, it's almost like I said to the faith leaders this morning, uh, we're trying to lead in a time where we don't know where things are going. <laughs> which makes leadership hard. You often know where you want to go and take people. No, this is, we don't know where things are going or how fast. Or, so you have to lead in a way that will make us better, no matter what happens when we come out of this. You said we're going to come out of this. The leading we do and the connecting we do in this will, in fact, make us come better out of this. And what you're doing is really a critical part of that. I'm very grateful. I've known you're doing this for a long time, uh, but how do we, how do we, the docs and the pastors, uh, the nurses and the, the deacons and the people serving, how do we help each other during this time? We'll change our relationship going forward. I think that's very exciting. Yeah, I think, uh, as I said, we've always worked well together and, and during these really high stress times, we really look to each other and, um, 
it's been wonderful to watch and and thank you for what you're doing here jim um thanks for just a simple podcast like this people love to hear from people that they feel like they know even though they may not know you personally they know you because they've watched you for many years uh, thanks for continuing to get your voice out there to using your technologies and telling us you know what's happening out there with your community i think it's been really really useful for a lot of people it's been a very hopeful conversation for for me so so mel herbert my friend mel i'm so grateful for you and your work and the way you always connect people and you're doing it again during this pandemic so i'm grateful for your voice in this time and for sharing it with us today thanks jim it's been a pleasure speaking to you and i hope to see you soon miss you and <laughs> i miss you too all right bless you for news resources and reflections about our current public health crisis visit sojo.net coronavirus if you appreciated this podcast please share this episode with your friends and family even your enemies as jesus calls us to love them too and what better way to love someone than to share a favorite podcast we're available on itunes google play and whatever you listen to for your podcasts after you listen don't forget to subscribe rate and review and follow me on Twitter at Jim Wallace. Blessings to all of you during this time of pandemic when faith must also go visual and spiritual healthcare go viral. This is Jim Wallace with the soul of the nation. God bless you.